Let us pray. O Lord, our God, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Give us grace to receive your truth in faith and love that we may be obedient to your will and live always for your glory. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. The Old Testament reading is from Isaiah 2, verses 1 through 5. Please listen or follow along with me in your pew Bible on page 618 as I read the word of the Lord. The word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. New Testament lesson is from Matthew's Gospel, the 36th chapter, beginning, the 24th chapter, beginning with the 36th verse. Listen now for God's word. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, They were marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they did not know until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be left in the field. One is taken and one is left. Two women will be grinding at the meal. One is taken and one is left. Watch therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the householder had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have watched and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. This is the word of the Lord. We begin today the season of Advent. The first Sunday in Advent is also the first Sunday in the new Christian year, a new day, a new time to experience God's presence and peace, a new way for some new beginnings. So my question is, on this first Sunday of Advent, what are you looking for? What is priority in your life? What are your values and what's important to you as you live life in this new year? I don't think we pause often enough to ask those questions. What are the priorities in my life? What are the values in my life? What is most important in my life? 
We live such a fast, hectic-paced life that we barely have time to eat, much less time to pause and reflect on who I am and whose I am. Why is it that I get up every day, and what is it that God wants me to be about? We rarely declare what a priority is in our lives. Yet it seems to me that the Advent season is an opportunity for us to consider that. Because contrary to popular opinion, Advent is about the coming of Christ. As Christians, we believe in Christ coming twice. First, in this season in which we celebrate his birth on the 25th of December. And secondly, him coming at the end of time. That is when the world is finished and is completed. So Advent is not just about Christmas parties or Christmas trees. It's not about Christmas carolite services. It's about all of that, but it's also about much more than that. Would it make any difference to you if you knew the exact date and time when Christ was going to return? Would it make much difference to you if you knew about significant events in your life and when they were going to happen, like a car wreck or like contracting cancer or like losing a loved one? Would it make any difference in your life if you knew the exact date and time when you were going to die? Would knowing any of these dates make any difference to you and to your life and how you live? Would you believe differently? Would you live differently? Would you act differently? I'm not sure that kind of knowledge would be helpful to many of us. I'm not sure it would make much difference in how we live and how we act, especially if the dates were 10, 20, and 30 years away. Maybe if a crisis was coming, we might cause ourselves to live differently, but probably not. We're told that after 9-11, church attendance in the U.S. really went high for a couple of months when we returned to the very irregular worship attendance which we now experience. A friend of mine told me one time to always give the gift that keeps on giving, guilt. Because guilt is something that will always keep giving to you, but I don't know that it changes much of our life. It might for a little bit maybe a week or two, or maybe even a month. For it seems that anticipating the specific dates of significant events in my life, or the end of the world, or the end of my life, is not about what life is about. Instead, life is about our behavior and the lifestyle we currently live. It's how we live on a very daily and regular basis, It's what our values and beliefs are that cause us to get up every morning and to do the work that we do. Now the passage from Matthew is a bit scary. It's a bit frightening. It is talking about the second coming of Christ. And it declares right at the beginning that nobody knows when that's going to happen. Not the angels in heaven. Not even Jesus Christ, the Son of God, have any idea when that's going to happen, but only God the Father. It's a clear demonstration of the sovereignty of God, that God is in charge, God is in control, and God will decide when God decides what to do. Now, at some level, there's a sense of freedom about that because I don't have, there's one less thing to put on my worry list. 
about when it's going to happen or how it's going to happen. Because I believe that God knows and God will take care of it in God's time. But along the way, the writer of Matthew talks about some things that will happen as the end of time comes. He gives four different examples. First of all, Noah and the ark. And he said, in the days with Noah and his family members, they were eating and they were drinking and they were doing their normal daily life. And all of a sudden, the flood came and they were swept up in it. He talks about two men working in the field and all of a sudden there's just one. He talks about two women grinding the wheat and then there was just one. And he talks about knowing when someone's going to break in your house and for some reason you decide to leave instead of be there when you can capture the person. I believe the description that he's trying to tell us is that the return of Jesus Christ is when we least expect it. There will be no signal. There will be no sign. People will be eating and drinking, going to work, coming home, cutting the grass, cleaning the house. People will be going about their daily business and daily activities. People will be going to work from 9 to 5. Nothing special or scary. Life will be happening. And into that life will come Jesus the Christ. So the first truth, at least for me in this scripture passage, is that Jesus re returns in the normal course of living life. There's no big climax, there's no big buildup, there's no big hooray of what's going to happen. He simply comes and is there with us. The second truth in this passage, it seems to me, is that we are not called to live a life of fear and worry and scare about when Jesus is going to return. There's no words in these ex examples about the people being sinful and being bad. No, they're simply going about their daily life and daily routine, and suddenly Christ returns. Now, the truth is that God will come again in Christ, and God will judge us. The passage is very clear that we will be accountable. We will be responsible. We will have to come to terms with how we've lived life and how we've been faithful disciples. For you see, there are consequences to our behaviors. All of us are making decisions right now that's going to affect us for the next 10 or 20 or 30 years. And it's not about cheap grace when anything goes. No, it's about real grace. Like when Jesus said to the woman at the well, go and sin no more. When Jesus said to the Pharisees, he who is without sin, cast the first stone. When Jesus said to the man on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. It's not about universalism. It's not about the fact that everyone's going to be saved. No, it's about Jesus Christ. It's about taking Jesus Christ seriously and taking his word seriously. It's about developing a relationship with this Lord of Lords and King of Kings so that our life reflects his life and our life is lived in accord with him and his kingdom. It's about that relationship we talked about last week in the sermon, that relationship that gives us life, even life abundant. The word repent means to turn around. Like you're walking down Monument Avenue and suddenly you do a 180 and go back the other direction. That's what happens when we meet our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
That's what happens when we turn our lives around. That's what happens when our life is taken seriously because we take Jesus seriously. We take his word seriously and we allow that word to convict us and to change us. The third truth is stay awake. Be aware because as we've said, we don't know when Christ is going to come. So be ready, be alert, be eager, be awake for no one knows when he will return again. It doesn't tell us how to do that or how to be ready. It just says be ready at all times. Truth number one is God is sovereign and God's going to decide when the world will end. Truth number two is God is calling us to accountability and responsibility. Truth number three is we don't know when it's going to happen, but we need to be ready all the time for that inbreaking of Jesus Christ. Which all seem to be good truths for us to hold during this Advent season. All seem to be important things for us to remember as we prepare for the birth of Christ as well as for the end of time all seem to be good truths that might help us experience Christ even in this Advent season in a new and different kind of way. Which leads me to my meddling part of the sermon. I said a couple weeks ago that from time to time I would meddle in the sermon, not in the sense of being negative or in the way in which people around here meddle in people's affairs and shouldn't be, but instead of how this scripture passage may make sense in our lives, how any scripture passage is applied to the life we live and makes a difference in who we are. Today's meddling is going to be tender and not easy. For as a congregation, and one family in particular, this past week we have all lived out this passage of scripture. We have faced the unexpected and sudden and surprising death of Jess Reveley. It literally came out of the blue. But it came as part of daily living and part of daily life. She was getting ready to come to church last Sunday. And in her regular routine and preparation, she had this seizure. And the seizure has called life to be different for each and every one of us. Now this passage talks about us being ready for the coming of Christ. And my experience with you this past week is that I'm not sure we will ever be 100% ready for the coming of Christ, as great as that might be. For I've seen too many of you, like deer in the headlights, saying, what happened? Why did it happen? What's going on? And the good news with Jesus Christ is that we don't have to be 100% ready because I don't think we ever will be. But what Christ calls us to be is to be faithful, to walk this journey of life with him and not by ourselves, to see what kind of life we could have if we simply put our belief and faith and trust in Jesus Christ, to see the kind of life-giving reality that Jesus Christ is all about. Jess did that. She was faithful. She walked the walk of faith. And her walk was not just a mental uh, acceptance of things. It was dedicated. It was authentic. 
And she demonstrated clearly what this walk of faith was all about. She did so in sharing her faith. She did so through education with children in this church. She did so as a leader in this congregation through the work of the session. So the question is, how do we prepare? How do we get ourselves ready? It seems to me that we get ourselves ready through the spiritual disciplines of the church, through regular worship, through study of scripture, through prayer, through fellowship with one another. We get ourselves ready through the mission and outreach of this congregation. We get ourselves ready by being with one another as we walk this faith journey together. And I'm not talking about feeling guilty. I'm not talking about you turning over a new leaf for a week or two. I'm really talking about a life-changing time for each and every one of us so that we commit ourselves once again to be part of the family of faith we call Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church. To young couples, I simply say to you that you're distracted by so many activities and good things on Sunday mornings, and my encouragement is turn them loose. Be here. Be part of this worship and fellowship so that your children grow up in the faith in a way that makes a big difference to all of us. And to the middle-aged and older folks, just because you think you've served your time, you can't get off that easy. You can't retire. Because part of what your value is is sharing the faith with other people and helping that spiritual development occur with people in the life of this church. And if it means that some of us have to begin to do things in education and other ways around this church, then it's time we do it. Because it's too important. And the priority is too crucial for us. I think it's a time for us to change our patterns and our lives and to commit again to what priority is in our life. For at least for me, and I think for many of us, faith is a priority. It's a priority because it is our life together. It's a priority because it's a way that we prepare for the meeting of Christ. It's a way to declare to other people what's most important for us. It's a way to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. And we can argue until the cows come home, why did Jess die at such a young age and with such potential and such gifts that she gave freely to all of us? And we'll simply go in a circle and never get off the merry-go-round. Or we can ask the question, what is God calling me to be and do? What does God want my life to be for? What difference am I being called to do for the sake of Jesus Christ? I think that's the question that each and every one of us have to wrestle with in this Advent season, this new year in the Christian calendar, so that we're able to answer the question. And if you're willing to answer the question, it means there's a change in your life. Life shall be different and life will be full and life will be for the glory of God. To God be the praise and the thanks, now and forever. Amen.